writer, director, and arm shaver. Hi, I'm Gabby Dunn, and I'm a writer, bi-con, bisexual icon, wink, and eczema haver. How's that going in this winter time? Not good. Yeah, are you taking short, cool showers? <laughs> Is that what you've heard about eczema? Yeah, my mom has it. She says she's not supposed to take hot showers. Yeah, but I love a hot shower. I couldn't do it. I would just have the eczema. Yeah, what am I, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Does it itch? I have a prescription medication. No, it's just dry. Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, I have a prescription medication. And then I, I went out on a limb. I tried a new face wash. That's a mistake. What kind? Or should we not say in case no, one no, day no, they want to No, no, no. Let's not say it. <laughs> but yeah, I like I, – not even that that's a bad face wash. It's just the thing of like if you change your skin routine even one second, mm. your face decides to throw a mutiny. Got it. But you, I mean, you don't do, and you don't really, what do you do, soap? I have a face wash, okay, sweetie, well, that I use in the shower, and then at night I use a makeup remover wipe. Yeah, see, that's privilege. It's so, it's all genetics. Like, I, when people are like, how did, why is your skin like that? I'm like, I'm lucky. Yeah. There's not, I can't promote any sort of skincare because it's just genetics. Here's the thing. Well, I, I'm going to choose to believe it makes me relatable. Yeah. Uh, that's just part of me being like, you know, a human on this earth. Like, I'm just like you. Celebrities are just like us. You know what I mean? I get a lot of rashes. Where? Uh, I, when I was in Mexico, I got a, some rashes on my forearms. Um, From I, what? It's unclear. We're not sure. Sunscreen? No. Uh, for a second, we thought papaya, but then thank God it wasn't that. That you're allergic to papaya and I, you're finding out now? I love it so much. At age 31? 30. I also, so I also sorry. get um, very red often. Like yes. My chest gets very red. Yeah. But it's temporary, so who am I to complain? No, I mean, I just want to, listen, I'm acne, just trying to be related. I know. Listen, acne havers out there, I'm with you, I'm here. Eczema havers, hello. L- lucky for us with our little dry patches, you know what I mean? It just, it just makes us humble. Just keeps us from being the, because otherwise, I'd be perfect. This is just between <laughs> us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice. I want to say that I'm also you have you're to do the, you're the perfect thing. even if you do. I don't want to make it seem like you don't have perfect you're not perfect. Okay, sorry. Uh, I'm perfect just the way I am. Ridiculous games and brutal honesty. We've got a great episode for you this week. We're going to be talking to immigration lawyer Marco Maglich, who my dad set us up with. We're going to be talking about visas, green cards, people seeking asylum in the U.S. Is the immigration system working? Hot topic. You're not more impressed that my dad hooked us up with this? No, your dad knows a bunch of lawyers. Yeah, it's, I've been wanting an immigration lawyer for a long time. And Ken Raskin really pulled through on this one. And later, we'll be discussing what defines a healthy relationship and how can it be different for different people. Oh, boy. But first, hit us. London. Truly international. And I shall read it in the British accent. Oh, here we go. What? No, I shouldn't. <laughs> what else can I do to help my mental health when I can't afford therapy? 
So I have that a couple was... of issues with that. One, you read the question, which is not protocol. Oh, I'm sorry. And also, and I two, did it in a, a very old-fashioned, very bad yeah. accent. Julia wants to know. It's actually a very serious question. Okay. What else can I do to help my mental health when I can't afford therapy? Huge. And so basically, she's in the UK, so they have free on-demand healthcare, but unfortunately, they're ridiculously oversubscribed, and the waiting lists are longer than you can imagine. She says that um, she went to her GP and she got put on antidepressants, so that's good. And she tried to see a therapist, but she told was told that the uni is so overstretched for mental health support they can offer me five sessions of CBT, uh, but that's pretty much it before going back on a waiting list. I feel like I'm in crisis and I need help now, but I can't afford to go private for therapy at all. I joined a gym because I know a lot of people feel better if they're working out. I really just don't want to feel like this anymore, and I don't know what else I should be doing. Have you guys found anything else that helps you? What would you do if you couldn't have access to therapy? Well, I've said this before, that literally the only thing that I've done with any money that I've made is pay off my debts and then go to therapy. (laughs) You have some cool sneakers. Uh, Yeah, I've gotten some cool sneakers, but mostly all of it has gone to like trauma therapy, psychiatrist, therapist, you know what I mean? It's all gone towards mental health stuff. How is that helpful with her question? I'm just saying that it's expensive. (laughs) I'm just saying that it's expensive and it's a privilege to go to therapy. Like I'm, I have like money, like that's a privilege. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't be. It should be something that's accessible to everyone and not with a ridiculous wait list. No, totally. So in terms of actual tangible things that you can do. For me, I've always found a lot of help in understanding why I'm thinking the way that I think and why I'm behaving the way that I do. And whenever I can label my behavior as either related to anxiety or OCD, then it really helps me because then I don't listen to those feelings as much. So I would honestly recommend like doing some research into Mm -hmm. whatever disorder you're struggling with. Um, I don't know exactly, but let's say that you're dealing with anxiety Mm -hmm. uh, because that is um, very common. Very common. So I would kind of like do some research into anxiety. I'd I'd look up what it looks like for other people. I would read about it. videos, like YouTube videos about other people dealing with it so you don't feel alone. And uh, I mean, talking to us is a great idea. (laughs) (laughs) And in terms of CBT, which is cognitive behavioral therapy, that is very focused on how powerful your thoughts are and how if you change your thoughts, then you can change your feelings and change your behavior. So I actually think that this is something that you can do for yourself. For many years, I've therapized myself, uh, which is a term I'd love to coin one day. <laughs> um, so the therapized self, Allison's <laughs> new book, uh, out soon. So basically, so let's say like, again, I'm making assumptions saying it's anxiety, but let's say that you're feeling anxious, right? And your heart is racing and you're feeling uncomfortable. Um, I interviewed um, a therapist who also happens to be my mom's best friend. (laughs) Love to keep it in the family. And she was talking about this method that she does where she asks the person to locate where they're feeling the anxiety in their body. So let's say for me, I would feel my anxiety in my chest, right? So I would put my hand on my chest and I would feel that it's coming in my chest and then I would center myself and I would put my feet on the floor, you know, like really sit up straight, have my feet on the floor and acknowledge that my anxiety is happening in my chest. And then I would say, I'd kind of talk to it. Mm-hmm. I would say like, what, like, what's up? Why, why are you feeling this way? Mm-hmm. And so if it's like, I'm feeling this way because, 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 because. Boyfriend hasn't because, texted me back. You know, then you're like, okay, so this is just my anxiety. Right. There's no actual issues here. I'm just having like um, a physical reaction. Mm-hmm. And you can say, okay, I understand that you're feeling this way. Um, I acknowledge that. But you're safe. 
uh, you're able to cope. Mm-hmm. We will get through this. Um, you're not in danger. Your body thinks that you're in danger, mm-hmm. but you're not actually because that's what anxiety is. Yeah. With depression, too, you you have to convince yourself. Like for me, I, I, you convince yourself that there's no hope. There's nothing. Right. Nothing's worth it, blah, blah, blah. And that's the same thing. It's like your brain working against you. You have to just like sit and be like, no, this is not what's happening. Your brain is tricking you. You know what I mean? Or if you're making a lot of assumptions about what's going to happen in the future, mm-hmm. you have to remember that you have no idea what's going to happen in the future. You have no control over what's going to happen in the future. Mm-hmm. And just trying to guess and assuming the worst is just harmful for everybody involved. I would keep a journal, like write down, you know, what you're feeling on certain days so you can notice patterns, so you can see if there's certain things that trigger you, so you can see like, you know, sometimes I think, oh, I've never had a good day. But then you look at your journal and you're like, no, the two weeks ago or like last week I had a great day. It's just trying to put your brain back in reality. And this might sound silly, but make sure that you're well-fed. Yeah. Like, it's actually a really big part of it. Um, My mood is, like, very dependent on whether or not I'm fed. And also make sure that you're getting protein. I think if you make – I would take care of your body as much as you're taking care of your mind. So really try to – Try to eat as well as you can. and um, yeah, You're going to the gym. Try to go to bed early. Yeah, sleep, eating, working out, those are all great things. And then it's also just like acknowledging that that the disorder is like a part of you that you can talk to. Yeah. And that you can like actually have a conversation with. If you are in crisis, uh, and I've never talked about this, but um, I've called a suicide hotline. So if you are in crisis, you can call a suicide hotline. You can also text suicide hotline. So if you have social anxiety, which doesn't allow you to be on the phone or you're not sure you could get the words out or whatever, uh, they have services where you can text. Sometimes you would think like, well, it's not, it's not immediate. Like, I don't know. I'm not worth calling or whatever. But my take on it was like, if I was even thinking about harming myself, I was even thinking about it. uh, Let's just call. Let's just get someone else to, to talk, you know, because you, you talk to yourself and you spiral yourself, like get someone else on the line who's like, hey, man, this is not what's happening. This is not as bad, you know, just externalizing it and talking to someone else can be can be really helpful. And I don't know what your situation is, but if you have a good relationship with your family or you have some good friends, it's okay to say, hey, I need some extra support right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to say like, wow, I'm really struggling. Like I honestly like – I, I just need to, like, have a night where you come over and hang out with me. Mm-hmm. Or I just, like, if you could check on me every couple of days, that would be great. It's or a- just talk to them. Yeah, or talk to them. And, um, I mean, I think sometimes you can spiral out through talking. Yeah, you can't use – and you can't use their advice as, like, bond because they're just another person with no training. Uh, right. So, but I think just having – I think that, like, honestly, hugging people helps. Holding hands helped. Like, Aww. like cer- like honestly, like, physical comforts. Like, let's say that you have a relationship with your mom. Like, her getting you a cup of tea could really help. London, baby. Oh, yeah. I, su- I was going to say tea even if you're in America, but I bet it will be even more helpful in London. Yeah. People love tea there. There's also, you know, apps for mm-hmm. therapy. Uh, I-, I haven't used them, but, you know, th- th- other people really like them. So there's apps for therapy where you can just have a therapist that you, you know, talk to via an app that could do it immediately. Versus and I think waiting. there's also like mindfulness apps, so you're not necessarily oh, talking to meditation a therapist, apps. but you're yeah, they're giving you some coping skills for the sure. App. Honestly, just like do not despair. Um, I think that 
while it's unfortunate you're not able to get the therapy that you want and need, I think that you can kind of like um, MacGyver. Some, yeah, put a Band-Aid yeah, on it. Yeah, like MacGyver some skills and, and learn some coping skills. And also know that uh, you're more resilient than you think. And that if this is something you want to tackle, then you will tackle it and, and you will get better. Yeah, you're already doing half the work, which is knowing what to do and trying to tackle it and asking for help. Also, uh, I can recommend a meditation Sir, uh, thing on Spotify called The Honest Guys, who are great. And so uh, check them out. I, they help me a lot. Just remember to be kind to yourself, which is how we love to end every segment. I know, right? We should just say the theme of this show is to be kind to yourself, unless you've made an oopsie. <laughs> <laughs> be kind to yourself, unless you're a serial killer yeah. with no feelings. <laughs> then fuck off. If you want to submit your international question, send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. Coming up next, we've got a juicy interview with our highly esteemed guest, immigration lawyer Marco Maglich. Stick around. Just between us. Hey! Just between back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting. Tough questions. Today, our guest is immigration lawyer Marco Maglich. Thank you for coming. You're most welcome. Before we get into the real stuff, how was working with my dad? <laughs> oh, yeah, it was fantastic. He, he it was a great teacher. I remember he used to force us to sit around once a week and have lunch and prepare something that had come out recently. And of course, you know, we were terrified and had to talk about it at lunch, <laughs> but everybody got a free lunch out of it. And I've tried to borrow things from him where I can, because when I went to his firm, they sent me to him. They said, go to Ken Raskin's group for six months because he will actually teach you. Oh, <laughs> that's so lovely. I'm so honored to be his daughter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we wanted to talk to you. We wanted to have an immigration lawyer on for a while. So can you tell our audience uh, a bit about what you do? Yeah. So I am an immigration lawyer and, you know, they call us business immigration lawyers, which means we basically work on the, the immigration world. If you're going to immigrate here, there are kind of two columns of ways you get here. One is by family ties and one is by your employment. And I work on that employment side. So I do work for a bunch of different corporations, big ones or small companies or startups or people themselves who have the ability to sponsor themselves because they're either, a, you know, they're a big deal or they're, you know, they're an entrepreneur or starting something. But everything that has to do with employment and, and that can mean a bunch of things. Um, you know, I get calls from companies all day long. I want to hire this person. I want to bring this person over. Or, please help, I'm concerned that I'm not complying with those laws. You know when you get a job and you have to go in and uh, when you start a new job, you have to fill out that little form where you prove what your identity is mm -hmm. and that you're to work and most of us just hand over our passports if we're American citizens. Well, those little forms generate a whole lot of fines. 
So the government loves to go out and check on companies to see if they're doing those forms right. And because they only need one or two people to do it, and they can just basically, you know, bring a spreadsheet and tally up a bunch of fines because they find that you put something in the wrong box or something like that and can, um, you know, collect a lot of money without a lot of work. The government loves to do that. <laughs> That's right. So it sounds like a really boring paper pushing kind of job. I'm filling out applications and writing about why this person or that person is qualified to get a visa for like extraordinary ability because they're specialized in a certain thing that, you know, is is very hard to find. Stuff like that sounds boring. It's actually, at least to me, pretty, pretty fascinating. And especially now because we're kind of on a bit of a war footing, Mm -hmm. you know, everything is being pushed back at because the goal here is to, from the government side, is really to reduce numbers. And so it just means I have a lot of 14-hour days is what it means. Yeah. So you were talking about the ways in which the government is trying to limit immigration now, and that's in the news a lot. So can you talk a, a bit about that? Yeah, like how has it changed since since Trump has taken office? Okay, so what they've done is interpret existing rules that are there. There's a heck of a lot more harshly and just make it um, kind of find ways to make it a lot more expensive and to make these employers have to jump through a lot more hoops, pay us for a lot more time spent, whatever, things that would, you know, to to clearly kind of discourage, um, you know, discourage people. Hiring people coming people in from and outside. using the system. That's right. It just becomes too expensive, right? So um, in some cases, they've done that with new rules, but mostly it's just by interpreting rules um, in a new way. They they started right off by saying, uh, you know, within a few months of, of, of coming into office, um, a, a memo was put out for this part of, okay, it's all like, it's going to sound like bureaucratic maze, hell, but (laughs) it's part of Department of Homeland Security called Citizenship and Immigration Services. And they're the ones we go to to apply for all these benefits, the H-1B visas you've heard about, all these other alphabet letters, T-N-E-L, you may not have heard about them, but they're there and they all have their own requirements. And you have people who've been here for a while and they're extending, for example, but they sent out a memo that said it does not matter what any administration before us did. It does not matter that you might be looking at just an extension for another three years of somebody who's already been here for three years on one kind of visa and seven years of schooling before that, you know, and, you know, so who's been here for more than a decade or whatever. We think they were all softies. So, you have to look at this as though you've never seen it before and apply much higher standards and, you know, push back wherever you want to push back. So what it's meant is everything you send in, first of all, you get these wildly different results because it's really vague. The, the, the guidance from the government is vague. It's really honestly kind of outside the rules. They make stuff up all the time. Really? They say, yeah, I mean, I, they, I send in a petition. I, they say, they come back. How do I explain it? It's, it's turned the relationship into a very different one between us and the government. It's this contentious thing now. So we send them something. 
they write back, and it's like they're trying to get away with something. They say, well, you sent A, B, and C, and, and that didn't prove anything. And then you have to come back at them and go, well, I think you missed uh, a D, E, F, G, H, I, and J, which I also included. Uh, you know, that, that kind of stuff didn't really go on before, and you have to point it out. It's sort of like they're bullying, mm-hmm. and you have to bully back. Have you seen more success from people from certain countries versus other countries? That's interesting. It's it's indirect. Um, they sent out around the same time another memo that said, be particularly tough, essentially, on the computer programmer and computer types of jobs. A lot of those jobs are held by people from, you know. India, Pakistan. Yeah, that's right. That part of the world. Right. And so the result is that a lot of people from that part of the world, even if they've been here for years, are getting denials, having to go home, sometimes home for a while before you get something together and refile. But of course, that's only in those instances where, you know, the employer cares enough to Mm -hmm. spend money on people like me, not just once, but two, three, however many times it takes to get the person. So it, it thins it out. So the result is, yes, people from certain countries have more trouble. I mean, an example of that is if you're on one of these temporary visas and you're also trying to ultimately immigrate, Mm -hmm. it's important to say that a lot of people come over and they do schooling and then they move to a temporary visa and they might even be here for a while. But a lot of people still, they don't want to stay here forever. They might actually spend some years here, but they go back. Mm -hmm. But for the ones that are staying and they decide to stay, If they are in the green card queue and we have a per country limit on how many people we're going to let immigrate each year or get a green card, well, what that means is if you're on one of these temporary visas, you only get a certain number of years. But if if you're going for a green card, you might be subject to like a 10-year backlog on the green card which is way more years than you're given. So then they have all these exception upon exception that they've built so that you can kind of keep stretching out the temporary visa. And the spouses of a lot of those folks are allowed to get employment authorization. They're not allowed to get employment authorization if they're just temporary, but if they're on that track, they're allowed to get employment authorization. And this government, since they came in, has been trying to knock that out since they came in, first of all, they know it's going to discourage a lot of people from staying, right? Because they're back down to one income. Right. So they don't want the people who are married to people on the green card list to be able to work. Exactly. That's right. That falls hugely disproportionately, again, on women from that part of the world. Because because of the per-country quotas, we have, you know, by far the ones that are most backed up are people that are born in India because the numbers are bigger, right? So it's like the pig moving through the snake, right? The more of those you have from one country, the more it pushes everybody down the line because you got 10 times as many people as you have in the quota. So it ends up being that really disproportionately affected people are people from that part of the world and their spouses are unable to get you know, work authorization. They haven't been stopped yet. They're trying to stop the rule, but the way it's being discouraged now is you can, for example, there's a rule you can only renew your employment card up to six months before it expires. 
but they take eight or nine months to renew the card. Oh my God. So, so it's all very like insidious because they can't get their way in actually changing the laws. That's it. I mean, it is also because they're in a bit of chaos. Like this government is asking these officers to do way more stuff without really any increase in resources. So I think it honestly is, too, that they simply just can't get to all these things. So what happens in that situation? Well, people often lose their jobs, right? If there's a, a, a woman on such an employment card, I mean, she gets to the point where hers expires and she says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, you're supposed to show up then to do that same little form I talked about, mm-hmm. you know, we have to show up and show that we've still got work authorization and they can't. And, you know, how long is the employer going to allow that to happen? So it's just one of many little pieces that discourage people and then people have left. And this is markedly different from prior administrations. Yes, it is. Yeah, We've always had problems with backlogs. There's always been problems with suddenly some kinds of applications taking a long time. I mean, I started in this right after 9-11. So there were big backlogs then. And then people from the Middle East and various places, they'd be applying for citizenship. And instead of waiting eight months for an interview, they were waiting three years. Um, You know, things like that would happen. So I've seen versions of it, but this is really concerted across the whole board and everything has taken a really long time and obstacles are just being thrown up uh, everywhere. And it's racism. You know, is it? The thing is, well, okay, so the the spouse where the couple is Norwegian will never be stuck in that situation because they're never going to exceed the per country quota, right? So they will have had their green cards a long time before the folks from India. So it has a racist um, effect. But, you know, I have to say, when I'm filing H-1Bs for uh, financial uh, analysts from Germany who were at the top of their class at the kinds of schools you would have heard of, I still get the pushback that says you haven't proven they're specialized. You know. Okay, so it's really more... It's more xenophobia. It's xenophobia. It's xenophobia. But, you, you know, you can't make an... Uh, it's hard to tell. I mean, Stephen Miller is kind of making the policy, right? Or driving a lot of the policy, if you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we know about his leanings because of certain emails that have recently been released, and mm-hmm. we all kind of knew them anyway. You know, so you can't make an overtly racist policy, but if you make it difficult for certain occupations that are generally populated by people from certain parts of the world, you're going to have that effect. Right. But I, I don't know that it's that it's overt, but I can see it having that effect. And I meet a lot of, you know, I go out to clients and I do, I do something called the doctor is in, you know, and everybody gets 15 minutes with Marco. You remember Lucy, the doctor is in? I'm showing my age again. <laughs> oh, uh, Charlie Brown? <laughs> yeah, Charlie Brown and Lucy. So I go to do the doctor is in. And then one after another person comes in very anxious, right? Because they, they've, they've really built something here at this point. And the message is it doesn't matter. And they know people who have had to go home after whatever it is, number of years, and they're going back to a place where they haven't built their contacts, right? The contacts are here now. And it's, it's very anxiety-provoking. So obviously the purpose of these policies is that you want companies to hire Americans, right? That would be the government's 
explanation of it? Yeah, that's right. And 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 the laws are designed that way, you know, the, the to make it so, you know, like if you transfer someone in on something called an L visa, you have to. It has to be because you can't just you can't get easily that particular kind of specialist here. And the idea is that it's to the kinds of people where if we let those people come in, it's actually going to generate hopefully more Americans work, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the same thing with the H-1Bs. There are rules there to make it harder, and it's supposed to be harder to hire the foreigner. You have to pay a certain amount. You know, you're required, like you're required to pay the lawyer's fees for an H-1B visa. You can't pass that cost on to the foreign national. You have to jump through some hoops. So they make it tougher. And yes, it's not supposed to be just like hiring an American or just as easy. It's supposed to be tougher. Do you see that it's working, that like it, it is helping American employment, or is that something that's too tough to even call? On the macro side, and what I mean by the macro side, like on the big picture, mm-hmm. it may be. I mean, I think it, it's cutting both ways because companies that can afford to say, oh, the heck with it, I'm just going to set up shop somewhere else, are doing that more, you know, because they want to get who they can get, and they don't want to feel like they're compromising on that. So there are companies that can afford to who are setting up stuff in Canada. Canada has responded by saying, hey, wow, okay, we're going to be really open, and they've added some visa classifications that that streamline the ability for people to get those visas in Canada so that they can say to companies, you know, I mean, if it's so tough down here to get who you want, come on up to Canada. It's, it's, you know. And I bet that benefits the Canadian economy. I should think so. I mean, that's that's why they're doing it, right? So it's actually doing, it. doing the opposite. We're losing business by having these strict rules. We are losing business. We're losing some business because of... Um, because companies also want predictability, you know, mm. and and it's it's hard when you can send in exactly the same petition and get two opposite results because partly because of this vagueness, it seems maybe, uh, who knows, maybe some offices are taking the cue to be aggressive more than others are. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've had instances, for example, where you send a, like there's a kind of a block filing that you do with a bunch of petitions mm-hmm. and... There were like 30 of them, and we got okay on most of them, and then we got pushback on another group, and we could tell by the little codes at the bottom that the pushback was all from the same officer. So they'd obviously taken the block, divided up amongst three or four people. So it just depends on who you get. It's random. It can depend on who you get. Oh, my it's God. It's all harder and tougher, you know, but the standards are, are toughened up, but there is, there is some variance there that you see. Can I ask you, uh, maybe you're not qualified, but as an immigration lawyer and someone who works in immigration, the situation at the Mexican border with the separation of families and all of that, is that something that is unprecedented? Is that something that you guys are concerned about? It's not something I touch a lot, and so I I can't talk a lot about it, but um, it is, you know, and the Trump administration will be the first to say, hey, you know, Obama separated families as well. Mm-hmm. But it's a little deceptive because what they did was they criminalized... Seeking um, asylum. Yeah, they, they had criminal charges for, for folks crossing the border. And what that does is when there's a criminal charge, you can separate a family. And the Obama administration didn't criminalize. The Trump administration is what made it criminal. They changed, that's right, they changed that policy. 
Because the law was sort of always there, but then it wasn't enforced until Trump, right? Well, again, um, I think it's a different way of enforcing it. But I think, yeah, I mean, it's it's a little out of my bailiwick, I'm afraid. So I don't want to sort of speak irresponsibly on it. But um, that's kind of true. At least the illustration I just gave you is something I do know. So that's a way you take something that's there. Uh, as a possibility and enforce it a different way, and it can result in the separation of families or a lot more separation of families. And then I've also seen that immigration judges are just sort of quitting. <laughs> Has, is this Ooh. new as well? Um, the morale is low. They, as you know, Jeff Sessions was the um, attorney general for a while, and he's gone. But he hired a bunch of new people. He wanted them to behave a different way. He also got in and kind of changed a lot of law himself. Like what? Well, what happens in immigration court is a lot of times they follow something called precedent decisions, which are what they sound like. They come from important court decisions that have come before. The immigration courts are all under the attorney general. They're actually all really part of the, the president's bureaucracy. So they're not like courts you think of, you know, where the judiciary, you know, where, where, where federal courts can actually uh, are separate from the president and can actually stop him the way that they've been doing on travel ban and things like that. It's a court system that's administrative. So at the end of the day, the president, or in this case, his attorney general, is the boss. So basically, he just went in and took some precedent decisions that he didn't like, and, and just negated them, rewrote them, said this is not the rule anymore. What? And, and appointed? And I know, a- it's hard to think of because we think of these courts as having an independent being, but immigration courts don't. Immigration courts are actually all part of the executive branch, just like the AG is part of the executive branch. You know, he's appointed by the president, he works for him, uh, and then he in turn... And the AG appoints the judges. That's right. Ultimately, yes. Um, so, but, you know, this Jeff Sessions had training sessions for immigration judges where he essentially said, you know, don't trust these immigration lawyers. They're all just trying to figure out tricks. So <sighs> there's, a lot, there's a, just a lot of antagonism. Like the, the, the relationship is antagonistic. Like I've had to wrench my head around from being like a, you know, a, a person applying for benefits for companies to, that's why I said at the beginning, it's more like we're on a war footing. Mm-hmm. You know, I send it out there and I'm ready for a fight. And they send their answer back. And the first thing I'm doing is like aggressively going through, finding all of the things that they say wrong. And, and actually, I pick out grammatical stuff and all of that <laughs> to point out the fact that I say, oh, they can't have read this very closely because, you know, look what they, look how they misquoted this or did that. I mean, we're all just attacking each other now. It's kind of a little bit of a microcosm of what we're seeing right in the country. Mm-hmm. We're all of a sudden, we're all contentious against each other. If there were to be a new administration, how quickly do you think this stuff could be reversed? Mm. It can take um, a couple of years, I would think. To like get new judges and to reverse all the backup and everything? That's right. I mean, the judge thing, I mean, you still have a lot of good judges in that. And, I, and on what I do in terms of these policies that, that they're following um, at these offices, these big service centers that you pack your application off to, they, they have to go through a process to push through policies. There are habits that are going to have to be changed. There's so much of it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but it's not going to happen right away. On the other hand, these changes happen so quickly that maybe that should make us a little optimistic. That's true. It, you know, it depends how quickly how, an administration, what kind of a priority are they going to make it? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that, that because you have to throw thought and bodies on it, a lot at it, a lot of time and effort went into them, into this administration, just kicking out these memos, going out, putting people in all the offices or, you know, like I envision them hanging over people's shoulders and, you know, to get them to do things in an entirely different way than they've been doing it. They, Cause they obviously made a, a, a focus on that. So there are a lot of things a new administration would have to deal with in a lot of areas, a lot of different parts of immigration and a lot of different things. So what are their priorities going to be? How quickly would they, put just as much energy into um, getting this stuff back to normal or, you know, maybe a new normal mm-hmm. versus the other priorities they would, um, you know, they would focus on. Are we losing out, like, in terms of people wanting to come to the U.S. or feeling safe in the U.S.? Like, are we losing out on people coming here? Anecdotally, I've had people say that, you know, they're not, really sure how welcome they are or welcome they would be. Uh, However, that's just here and there. I I still think that there are people who want to come here. There's still, there's still a sense that there's opportunity here, that they would rather be here if they could, Mm -hmm. but they go to other places now because it's easier. Right. There's still this idea about them. And this sounds corny, but there is still this idea about America, Mm -hmm. right? that it would still be the first choice. It's just that the first choice has become so difficult and people don't want to go someplace where every couple of years they're going to worry that they might get, they might not be renewed this time, right? Because the more you invest, then the much more painful it becomes to then have to leave. Yeah, I think that we are probably losing out on innovation and uh, people that could benefit our society and our economy. Um, if, If to take a capitalist view of the whole thing, um, you know, as Cher from Clueless said, it does not say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, would you like to play a game show? Sure. Okay, great. Um, I'm still processing everything you said, and I'm horrified, but we have to persevere. That's why I tried to take it to Clueless to lighten the mood. <laughs> so hypotheticals is a game show, or you and Gabby are the contestants. I'm going to give you some hypothetical situations, and you guys can ask as many questions as you want. And then you tell me what you would do in those situations, and then I decide if you're right or wrong. Uh, completely arbitrarily. So sort of so like... It's me, it's me against Gabby. Yes. Yes, we are uh, adversaries right now. Think of me as an immigration judge. <laughs> okay, an impartial one? Never. No, 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 I- incredibly <laughs> partial. Okay. Okay, right. so our first game is, would you lie or tell the truth? You hate your neighbor a lot. One night, you see their child sneaking out of the house and getting into someone's car with a suitcase. The next morning, your neighbor asks if you've seen their kid. They can't find them. Would you lie or tell the truth? For context, this neighbor has called the police on their black mailman three times for trespassing, a.k.a. delivering the mail to the mailbox. Okay, so the person's kid, we can assume, is, like, leaving because the parents are conservative and uh, and racist? Yeah. Okay. We can assume. Okay. Uh, Marco, thoughts? 
So just because they're conservative and racist, but not like I don't know any abuse or anything like that, right? No. So if that's it, honestly, I would I would still tell them. Wow. So not all lawyers are crooked. <laughs> well, not, you know, yeah. <laughs> he has to say he'd tell the truth. He has well, to say that. No, um, listen, I always hear the lawyers are crooked thing, and I go, wait a minute, we actually have these ethical rules that, you know, I mean, I know they're all the stories and everything, but, you know, we do things that some other people do. We lose our license if people find out about them. No, I love lawyers. I just think divorce lawyers are crooked. That's my mother. Okay. <laughs> my mother is a divorce attorney. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. In L.A.? No, in Florida. She's really okay. taking one for the team. Uh, yeah. So I I think I would also tell the truth. You would? You'd say they ran away because you're a terrible person? Yeah, and also, like, I mean, I don't know that I would, like, give a description of the car or anything, but I'd be like, oh, yeah, I saw it, you know? I saw I saw them leave, and they'd be like, what did you see? And I'd be like, I didn't have my glasses, you know? <laughs> you'd be like, they're safe, but I'm not telling you where they went. Well, how do we know who they run off with? Like, Would you, like, say something like, um, you know, like, use it as leverage and say, even though I've seen you do all these, like, mean things because I'm a, well, in my case, I'd say, because I'm a father, I'm going to tell you this. Or you can say, don't ever call the police again and I'll tell you. Ooh. Yeah, there you go. The leverage. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. We solved that one. Good job, guys. Yay. <laughs> Who got more points? Um, I'll give you more points. Okay, good. Yeah. Because you're partial. Yes, I'm very, we're all very partial in this game. <laughs> yeah, there are biases. <laughs> Our okay. next game, Are You a Terrible Parent? Similar theme. You're afraid that your child is bad at dating, especially first dates. So you create a fake online profile with the help of a woman you've hired so she can go on a date with your kid and report back on how they behave on the date. You then tell your kid's therapist what you learned so they can help your kid in therapy be better at dating without your kid knowing you were involved at all. Your kid goes on to successfully date someone you absolutely hate. Are you a terrible <laughs> parent? <laughs> am I a terrible parent? Yeah. I mean, I think I am because of all that behind-the-back stuff that led to it. Do they fall in love with the person that they go, the person you hired? I thought about taking it that direction, but that was already a oh. movie with Matthew McConaughey and Sarah Jessica Parker, so I didn't want to step on their toes. But, okay, but oh, oh. then how does the person they went on that one date with that you hired end it? Ghosting? Uh, Ghosting? Well, well, no, the date was so terrible that the, your kid understood that they never get a second date. Oh, so the kid knows they're bad at dating. Well, they, they look at the facts, but <laughs> they don't know why they're bad at dating and they don't know what they're doing wrong. But somehow through this whole trick and the therapy, they at least got a date finally, but then they started dating a person that I hate. Yes. Golly, that's a tough one. <laughs> you know, because you're happy that they're dating on the one hand. Yeah, but now you have to deal with their significant other who's awful. I think, yeah. I think you know what, like, that's the penance. Like, you did all this stuff behind their back. They're happy. You got to hang out with, like, Angela, who sucks. Yeah, you know what? That's right. You're paying the price. You're yeah. paying the price. And they may just be doing it to get back at you because somehow they figured out you did that. <laughs> Whoa! Twists and turns! Well, let me tell you what happens is, is that their partner hates you back and they take your kid away and you never see him again. What? Oh, no. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. 
You they immigrate to Canada <laughs> yeah, because it's better. They immigrate to Canada and they find it pretty easy to get a visa. Exactly. Oh wow! <laughs> full circle. Full circle. <laughs> Our final game: Are they an alien from outer space? I want to clarify right. the situation. Of course. <laughs> or are they just rude? While at the gym, a very old man takes the treadmill next to you, even though there are many others free. He then proceeds to yell at you to go faster and faster, despite only walking on his treadmill. Is he an alien or just rude? It ends up being the best workout of your life. Wow. And how did, what results are you seeing to know this is the best workout of your life? Just like the calories burned is the most because he's been screaming at you to go faster. <laughs> I love this guy. <laughs> he reminds me of my son's baseball coach when my son was eight. Oh, really? He would scream at your kid? Oh, this guy would scream and he would light a cigarette and walk up the, you know, the left field line. And all the parents on the other teams thought we were crazy for having our kids with him. But... Um, he got results. He, he got results. <laughs> so that, boy, that just takes me back to, I'm a terrible parent. I probably <laughs> am, right? Thank you so much for joining us. This was so informative and important. Where do you think people can find more information on what's going on in, in the immigration courts if, if they're interested? Our bar association is called AILA. American Immigration Lawyers Association. And then they also have like a separate foundation thing called American Immigration Council. And they're constantly putting out, you know, I just get these news blurbs or I get things that are going on in courts or things that are going on down in Texas and policy stuff that's going on. So they can be a good resource. Um, there's another place for people like, you know, when they worry about, they have a friend and they're, they're worried about the travel ban and, oh, my Lord, are they going to, you know, what, what do I do with my phone when I'm, they want to take my phone from me and look at it when I come into immigration and all of that? Well, the ACLU website always has some good guidance on things like that because that's been a thing that you get asked about more and more because they're, when you come into the airport, they're asking to see your cell phone and to look through it. And, oh, wow. and so ridiculous. Yeah. Well, thank you. We'll we'll provide links to both those things in the episode okay. description. And um, thank you for coming on. Thank you so much. And my dad says hi. <laughs> oh, hi to Ken. Thanks for having me. It was terrific. I really appreciate it. Of course, guys. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about what defines a healthy relationship, like we know. Just between us, it's time for topics. X X X X X X X X X baby. I kind of sang along to the music too. You did. I was like, no, you weren't. I was doing it. I was doing it quietly. They'll pick it up on mic. They'll pick it up in post. This week's topic is healthy relationships. What's that like? No, just kidding. Readers, listeners, audience, please write in. Let us know what does it look like. Well, this topic was inspired by this tweet that's kind of gone viral where this woman said, you know, writers, if your partner doesn't read your work, then they're not supportive and you should break up with them. Uh, it's author Morgan Jenkins. And I think it was like, hey, date someone who reads your work. 
And people were divided on it. Yes. So there was a lot of response where it was like, absolutely, your partner should read your work and support your work. And then other people being like, I've been married for 20 years. My partner doesn't read any of the books I write, but is supportive of me in so many other ways. And sometimes people were like, I would die if my partner read my work. (laughs) (laughs) Which is very funny. So it just got me thinking about like that there's so many different relationship styles that work for different people. Right. But I was wondering if we could sort of like find some tenets that sort of apply to everybody. Well, my partner's a musician and I love their music. I listen to their music even if we weren't dating. That's huge. I know. Do you think you could date them if you didn't like their music? So that's the thing, right? Like I have dated a musician who I did not like his music. And (laughs) it was Oh, let's bleep that. Bleep it. So it's like, you know, this thing where it affects your respect for your partner. Mm -hmm. And obviously you and I both know respect is huge and important in a relationship, respecting each other. I I, would say that's the number one tenet of a healthy relationship. Right. So I would hope that they liked my work and respected my work and were interested in, you know, like my partner read my comic book and liked it, breezed through it in a day. Um, And like I would hope that I would like their work and they would like my work. But I think that's just something that makes me – that's my definition of respect, Mm -hmm. which like other people might have a totally different definition of respect. Well, could you be with someone who didn't consume your work? I'd feel sad. Yeah. I would feel sad, um, but I would want to curate what of my work they see. <laughs> they, don't, they don't need to see all of it. There's certain things where partners have been like, oh, I watched, and I'm like, you really didn't have to. Right. Or like, this isn't representative of what I do. Here you Like, they watch like a branded video, and I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> but then, you know, uh, the person I'm dating now is like, only listen to the new record. Don't listen to anything I put out before. Oh, really? Yeah. And I'm like, why? I love those songs. And they're like, ugh, embarrassing. That's so funny. I know. I think I have dated people that I didn't respect their work or didn't think were funny or didn't um, think they were talented. And I want to be with someone who I would consume their work even if we weren't together. Well, I can't believe you've dated someone you didn't think was funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, or didn't think was talented or would like worry that they weren't good at things or get frustrated that they were like bad at their chosen career. So I think that that kind of comes back to, like, respect. Yeah. So obviously in different careers, like, I'm not qualified to know if someone's a good doctor or a good accountant or a good scientist. Right. But you can kind of get the sense from your partner if you feel like they're a capable person. That Yeah, and that's part of it. Um, but also some people are like, oh, I don't know, my partner's a, like a shitty, they're a chef and they're bad at it. But I, they also are really supportive of me and they do other things that I love and they're kind and they treat animals well. I don't know. You know what I mean? People have different standards. But that's what, that's what we're getting into is like you have to figure out what matters to you and what's important to you. So for me, like I couldn't date someone I didn't find funny. Right. Obviously, the longer you're with someone, the more likely this is to happen, but I think it's really bad when someone's personality annoys you. Oh, my God. (laughs) And you see that with so many couples, especially older couples, where it's just like the basic principles of this person's personality annoy them. (laughs) Yeah, if if they seem to hate each other. Right. I think it's really important to always find each other amusing. Yeah. And to share a sense of humor. I hate – there's like couples that I know that have – like one person says – that something to the other person where they're like, they hate this thing and they hate their personality and they hate all these things and try to change them and stuff. And my thought is always like, if they don't like all of these things about you, go. Mm -hmm. Like, 
leave. Like, why do you want to be with someone who you think all of this negative stuff about? Right. So I think an important thing for a healthy relationship is not wanting your partner to change significantly. Right. Because then then you're just like in a relationship for the hope of the future versus like what the relationship is today. Yeah. It's so weird. Like, because there's like stuff, you know, where friends will say, well, my partner doesn't like this, this and this. And I'll be like, well, that's pretty mean of them to say to you. Like, you should break up. What kind of stuff? Like, you don't know how to take care of me. You don't know what to do when I'm upset. You're selfish and you work too much. Stuff like that. Right? And so it's like, okay, well, my advice is like, you should leave them because they're being really mean to you. But also, they shouldn't be with you. Like, Mm -hmm. why are you with someone who you are like mad at all the time and don't seem to enjoy? I would argue that sometimes there is a learning curve on figuring out how your partner wants to be cared for. Oh, definitely. You have to communicate that. Yes. Someone might not get that right right away. Yes. And then what matters is if they're responsive to what you're telling them. Hugely. So uh, for me, the thing that has made me feel that my current relationship is very healthy is that there is so much communication. Mm -hmm. And the assumption of good intentions. Yes. The benefit of the doubt. That when we disagree on something, we are coming from a baseline of you are a good person and I am a good person. And nobody is trying to hurt each other. And things get resolved like that for mm-hmm. us. Because it's just Gabby like. snapped in case we oh, didn't pick sorry. that up on mic. Yeah. Because, because everyone. Yeah. Good job. Thank you. ASMR, I assume. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like everybody is coming at it being like, I believe that you are not malicious. Mm-hmm. Oh, huge. And the idea that you two are a team. Yes. That's something that Jake says all the time, that, like, he wanted a teammate. Like, Mm -hmm. we're on the same team. If there's issues, it's not, like, us against each other. It's, like, us against the world. Yes. Yeah. And that's really important. And not taking things personally. Mm -hmm. That they don't take things personally. I don't take things personally. Like, the assumption is always love or that they just didn't realize or you you need to explain something which is like I was like talking about uh maybe buying a place in LA eventually and uh my partner was like a little upset and I was like why are you upset like why I don't understand what I did and they were like well I don't want you to talk about buying a place like I want you to include me in your future Mm. And I was like, oh, I was just like mindlessly chattering about like what I might do when I buy a house. I so did not realize like but instead of being like, you don't think of me and you cut me out and blah, blah, blah. They were like, hey, just include me. And right. I was like, oh, my God, absolutely. I'm so like, you know what I mean? You, you, The assumption that the other person is just like, you know, like not coming at you to hurt you, but like just being a little whatever and then communicating that need without anger. I also think it's so crucial to share the same values Mm -hmm. if you're going to have a healthy relationship. And obviously those values can vary very much between couple to couple. Yeah. But like is family a priority? Right. Is traveling a priority? Right. Like what do we want the future to look like? Mm -hmm. Do you both want to have kids? Do we want to save money or do we spend more money day to day? Like Mm -hmm. I think that all of that stuff is just going to set you up much more for success than like if you have different values, you're constantly going to be battling each other. Yeah, and sometimes your values can be both of you value independence. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. And so you don't necessarily want a future that is uh, traditional. Right. 
I mean, it, it is like really just down to like aligning. And I and I we've talked on this show how much you and I both hate the concept of soulmates. Um, and how that is uh, garbage. And I think a lot of people get into super unhealthy relationships because they're like, no, this is my soulmate. This is my person for some reason because because they're uh, addicted to, you know, obsessive love or because they have been with someone for a long time. So they must be their soulmate or whatever it is. If things aren't working, you can always like not be together. You know what I mean? Like there's no like obligation to be with someone if it's unhealthy. And I think that, like, you should be with someone who's willing to put in the same amount of work as you. Yeah. So for one couple, that could be very little work. Yeah. And they don't want their relationships to be their priority. And that's fine as long as that's both people. Right. Or another couple might, like, the relationship is their, both of theirs number one priority. Mm-hmm. And so they're willing to put in all the work they need to to make it work. Mm-hmm. But you just have to be aligned on those things. Yeah. I think sometimes uh, your body reacts, too. Like, your body gives you clues. Like, sometimes I've been with people and you you know that your partner's coming over and you're anxious. Mm-hmm. Or, like, I have been with people where I, like, kind of in the back of my mind know that it's not good and we should break up and it's unhealthy. But I don't want to do anything. But then my body is, like, my stomach hurts all the time. And my, like, eyes are sunken in and my hair is, like, falling out or whatever. I <laughs> what do you mean your eyes are oh, sunken I in? I have, like, physical symptoms of stress. I know you do. But what, what happens uh, to your eyes? Like, uh, dark circles. Oh, okay. Like, I I have, like, very physical reactions to stress. And so, like, when I know that something isn't right, even if I don't want to admit it, your body will tell you. Mm -hmm. And that's something to pay attention to. Because if your relationship is unhealthy, your body will feel it. I, I think, like, a thing that is really nice, and I was talking to my therapist about my current partner, and my therapist was like, it's just calm. Mm hmm Like, it's just calm. There's no, like intense drama day to day there's no like i'm not trying to decode messages or uh fight you know it's just like discussions and also like i just feel calm it's so nice to be calm can you imagine think about our past (laughs) like can you fucking imagine being calm like in the past could you have imagined being calm like we are now no whoa i don't even relate to myself in other relationships anymore oh it's bonkers yeah and like if your partner is yelling at you bye yeah, no one yelling time i was driving down beverly with dan and i screamed i hate you and then he tried to get out of the moving car like what <laughs> that is not okay yeah obviously it might not be that you're a bad person but like two people can be triggers for each other right so that's the other big component is i think a healthy relationship is when someone brings out the best in you yeah and you are and you like the person you are when you're with them oh huge huge oh man so many relationships were so bad yeah it's hard and you know what it's hard to get out of them when you're in them when you're like in the middle of it in the midst of it you go nobody understands this is just how we are this is you know what i mean like you you work you do this whole uh rationalizing in your head it's scary to be alone it's scary to go through a breakup Mm-hmm. but there is hope tamika come on in and <laughs> tell us your thoughts this is a very heavy episode. <laughs> yeah, super heavy. So we love to uh, meander between very heavy and very light here on Just Between Us. Um, so I was just going to add, it's really interesting to be in the room with two people and really great, stable, healthy relationships. Because I was going to come in and say I've been on a break from relationships because I know exactly what you guys are talking about. And when you just don't have that, 
then sometimes it's nice to take a break, I think. Yeah, I had to take a break before I started dating Jake and, like, I had to, like, really reassess a lot of stuff and work on myself a bunch. Like, I don't think that I could have had the healthy relationship I have with him now if it was me a couple years ago. Yeah. Me too. Me too. It was all bad behavior. Like, I don't want to seem like it was other people. It was, like, other people and also my own bad behavior. And why was that my instinct to just act like that? Yeah, I think, like, it. it's, like, really important for both people or multiple people to be in a good place when you finally meet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's really important. That's the only thing I wanted to add to this conversation. It's just so important to, like, understand who you are and what you want and what you need before you can get to a place where you can be a team. And that you don't need the relationship. That the relationship isn't what makes you whole as a person. It's something you want and is a great addition. But, like, I think I think that then you get into codependency, which isn't healthy. Also, people act like they can't control who they are attracted to. But you can mm. know – if you know that you're attracted to terrible people, you can work on that and tr- steer yourself away. Save yourself, bud. You know how it's going to end. <laughs> don't do it. What do we rate this episode? I rate it 10 out of 10, Marcos. I don't know. I just found that so interesting. so interesting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very interesting. Well, you know, I rate it 10 out of 10 new administrations. Yes. Please, 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 please. I liked that he was, like, at first he was like, it's going to take years. Then he was like, well, you know, they did this so quickly. Maybe we can fix it quicker than we think. That is nice to think about. Yeah. Tamika, what do you rate it? Um... 10 out of 10 guys yelling at you on the treadmill with a cigarette. (laughs) (laughs) Yup. In in reality, that would be horrifying, but the way that it was said in hypotheticals was funny. (laughs) It would be so scary. Wow. I think we really did a good job helping the person who who needed um, alternatives to therapy. I hope so. Write in. Let us know if we helped you. Also, just please review this podcast. Yes, please review this podcast. Subscribe to this podcast. Send it to a friend to subscribe and review. Write like just just give us five stars and then write we love it. Don't even write anything. Just give us five stars. That's yeah. huge. It takes one second. Come on, guys. Come on. Also, we have merch at podswag.com. Ooh, very exciting. After that shameless promotion, Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed our killer theme music. Our producer is Tamika Weatherspoon, and our supervising producer is Josephine Martirana. Our executive producer is Chris Bannon. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. I have nothing to say other than America. Oh. Just America? Like, kind of just, like, with disdain. Yeah. America. Or, like, America, question mark? Yep. Stitcher.